0: Hello, welcome to another episode of Coffee with Mirko. I'm very happy to have you here and uh, it's uh, it's a wonderful day here in Melbourne. So uh, we're just going to uh, get the ball rolling. So um, if you're new to this podcast, um, I'm just uh, glad you're here. And uh, just please feel free to share this with any friends and family. Um, I hope you got your cup of coffee ready. Uh, we got an amazing uh, guest today. Um, his name is Jason Shelters and uh, he's the founder of uh, Market Lane Coffee Roasters. So, um, you know, as usual, you can just drop some questions on the bottom and uh, we're just going to uh, get the ball rolling. So I'm going to send him an invite now and uh, he'll join us real soon. Hey, Jules. <laughs> Puppy. <laughs> Here we go. He's already in the Hi, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Jason. How are you?
1: Good, thank you.
0: Good. How are you? Yeah, good. Fantastic to see you. And uh, uh, thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time or, or so. And, uh, we're really grateful for it. So I'm really, really glad to see you and, uh, and welcome. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, yeah. That's the,
0: yeah, yeah. Li- likewise, likewise. And uh, uh, first and foremost, uh, how are you and your family and the Market Lane crew uh, with this uh, interesting time?
1: Yeah, we're okay. Um, family's good. I have a three-year-old, and uh, and he he used to he spent a lot of time with his grandparents, so he's he's really missing them. Um, but you know, we're we're healthy and we're fine, so um, we can't complain.
0: Um,
1: and the Market Lane crew is good. You know, we. We were really nervous in, in March uh, when the first shutdown happened, and uh, we, we weren't sure what the impact was going to be, um, but we're really, we, I think we were really lucky in the way that we were able to keep um, all of our cafes um, open for the most part, and uh, all of our staff employed almost 100%. We, we had a few full-timers that dropped down to 80% for a, a little while, um, but, uh, but yeah, on, on the whole, we were um, very, very lucky, and... Um, yeah, so that's, we, we, that's we, we hear a lot from our friends uh, overseas in, in Bolivia and Brazil, we're in close contact with them and it's obviously, you know, uh, just a different scale over there and uh, much more difficult. So we're thinking of them
0: all the time. Yeah, Yeah, we, we're definitely going to go to that, to that space uh, real soon. Um, I, think, I think it's times like this where we realise what we have and uh, what we give for granted simple yeah. as a roof and a cup of water and uh, just yeah. just a, a good health system as well because some countries especially origins yeah they're not as lucky as us so we're definitely going to go there yeah
1: uh, but, but just
0: to give some context and people are going to really listen to this podcast um, could you kindly tell us a, a bit more about your, your journey and how you started mm-hmm. um, in coffee first
1: yeah, I um, well, my, my start was in in hospitality. So I was working in um, a, you know a couple of bars and and cafes and and restaurants. Um, and I was sort of I wasn't lost, but I wasn't quite sure of what I wanted to do with my life. So I was really interested in um, in wine and cheese and and coffee as well. Um, and at the time, you know, two thousand six, two thousand seven, there wasn't a lot of information about um, you know where coffee came from or, or how people decided what um, what coffee they would choose their blends or even how it was roasted. So I thought that was really interesting, and I uh, I, I pursued it, um, you know, fairly aggressively. I, I travelled quite a bit to places where I thought I would learn more about coffee, um, and and one of those the, one of the big influences um, turned out to be London and uh, working in a place called Monmouth Coffee. Um, I worked there for for two years. I worked, um, you know, started, you know, just uh, making coffee, started selling. Selling beans on the bean bar, and then I, I worked in the in the roastery for for quite a while as well. Um, so I ended up being about two years, and I learned a lot about um, obviously roasting coffee and um, and how they source coffee and, and you know marketing coffee in a in a way. But but more than that, I really learned um, about you know why it's important to celebrate the stories of coffee producers and um, um, and and the people behind it, rather than just you know roasting coffee really you know, the best way. Um, so that was a really big inspiration. Um, and after that, I... Well, actually, while I was working at Monmouth, I met Fleur Stud. Um, and about a year after I I met Fleur, we ended up back in, back in Australia together at the same time. And she approached me with an idea of starting up a, a coffee roastery and a cafe called Market Coffee. Um, and she, she needed someone who had a bit of knowledge in, in roasting and could do a bit of the prank and stuff like that. Um, and I was really excited because we we shared a lot of the same uh, principles and, um, and ethics and ideas as well. So I was really excited um, to, to jump on board and, and jump right in. So I think yeah. I, I landed back in Australia in um, April and we had our first meeting with the architect in, in June. So it was it was very, very short um, and we got working straight away. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was 2009, so uh, about 10 years ago.
0: And, and speaking, speaking of values and principles, what- What sort of values and ideas were behind market lane? Because I think it's really important. It's something that I touch base often on this podcast. is purpose and intention and, you know, values rather than uh, just chasing a coin.
1: Yep, definitely. Uh, I mean, on a practical sense, we we wanted to to offer something different than other um, coffee roasters and cafes in Australia. At the time, there was almost no filter coffee in Australia excuse me, there was, um, yeah. there are a lot of cafes that would, um, you know, maybe have an AeroPress or something, but it would, you know, that would sell maybe one cup of it a day or something. There would be very little. And and most roasters wouldn't tell you what was in the in the blend or what was, you know, what was being served on the day. And we really wanted to, to change that up and to, to show people that, yeah, you can buy some really great coffees with great transparency and, you know, you can make it, you can make a business out of it. It doesn't have to be, you know, buying coffee at, Ten dollars a kilo and selling it at 30 you can do it differently um so in a practical sense that's sort of what we wanted to um to show um but from a values perspective i mean we both um we we both had a lot of um influence from monmouth in the way that we wanted to basically just take the stories of the people who grew the coffee and who produced it and uh, stories about their families and where they come from and present that to customers in a way that was relatable. So we had to try and find ways to to show that to people, to show that, um, you know, the coffee wasn't just a commodity. It wasn't just something, you know, a bag you could take off a shelf. Um, it was produced by someone and a family itself. So.
0: I, think, I think often the element of people is just forgotten, isn't it? Um, in, in many aspects, I think, I think across the chain we kinda have have shifted, we put so much focus into the cup into the into the whistles and bells, but you know, people at Origin that have the story, but also people across the chain, even yep. baristas, but even looking after the people at the shop, um, you know, have a building relationship because going back to a common a uh, common factor is that you mentioned, it's still hospitality. Mm-hmm. And hospitality by default is about people and I think that we sort of forgotten about people. How do you see the people element in hospitality post COVID where people have experienced lockdowns and, you know, isolations away from people?
1: It's going to be really difficult. Uh, I mean, we're going to be, I I think we're going to be living in a world where we're socially distancing until there's a a vaccine. And we we don't know whether that will happen. Uh, I think even if it does happen, this will leave a lot of scars and a lot of, uh, bad memories for people, and the way that we're going to have to um, to make people feel comfortable is by doing it in a way that gives them a bit of space. So it's just not as intimate as it used to be. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be very different. Um, very difficult. Uh, to be honest, I don't know um, how it's gonna work, but I don't think it's gonna be you know plastic screens at the checkout because that that doesn't make people feel comfortable. It makes people scared um, and you know uneasy. So. I'm not I'm not sure what the what the, yeah. the the way that we're gonna move forward but
0: and I think what what I liked about you what you just said about the stories of people is just story and storytelling is really um something that's been part of humans since thousands of years gathering, you know, around the fire and talking and fun enough, coffee bring brings people together brings people to the you know next to the fire to tell stories and uh, uh, how, how do you like to tell the stories from origin through your coffee and through marketing
1: well I think it's about developing a connection uh, where possible so our, our best stories come from come from the producer themselves when we've we've met them we've sat down with them we've talked to them um, and we've really understood you know, their situation uh, from their Perspective as well um, I, I think that's really the the, um, the the best way that we can do that um, so our, our best connections come from you know the closest ones and the most personal ones um, and I think that really rings true rings through in our um, uh, in our messaging and things like our postcards they obviously they, they read a lot better if um, if there's an honest and true story behind them um, there are, are big challenges in the coffee industry obviously with um, with making those personal connections because in some cases it 's just not possible so places like yeah. Ethiopia where there can be thousands of members of a washing station and they they have to pull everything together to sell it you know there 's no other way of doing it um, so in cases like that it's very difficult to to make that connection or to um, to present the coffee as coming from from one producer or one family because it's just it 's just not the case you know it's come from thousands um, yeah but the um, uh, we we try and we try and meet every um, every producer we represent um, in places like Colombia and Guatemala it's um, it's easier uh, Ethiopia is a little a little more difficult but yeah, we try
0: <laughs> and, yeah of course and 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 i think also it's it's important that you know it, it, it's interesting because it can be done it has to be done in a right way like you guys do it but it can also be done in the, in a non-spontaneous way that's uh, sold more and it's not genuine and it's you know we've seen in specialty a few non specialty claiming specialty and i don't know specialty is a crazy word and just a word for the sake of the exercise but how how is for you important to kind of Maintain that truth, you know, and that transparency when it comes to those stories, rather than just, you know, slap it on a piece of paper like a lot of people. No, not a lot, but a few people. because yeah. that, that would make the farmer angry themselves too. That's not fair.
1: Yeah, I think to be honest, I think it's fine. Like I know that there are there are lots of roasters who share the stories of coffee producers, um, but they haven't met them or, or they haven't made a personal connection. Um, they've they've chosen the coffee off a table because of its flavor profile and its price, and I think that's fine. You know, like th- that that's a start. That's where we started, um, and I think that's still an honest way of uh, representing and selling a coffee. Um, so I I don't think that the coffee industry has to be sort of like a you know a one to one transaction of, of a roaster to a farmer. No, yeah, sure. Um, but uh, but I, I think the issue is where where people you know will put labels on. Um, on bags claiming it's something when it's, it's something entirely different, you know. Um, I, and this, the, the word specialty coffee, uh, for me, is pretty clearly defined as just being a, a coffee that's above 80 points. And the coffees that sit between 80 and 83 aren't, you know, to be honest, they're not really up to our standards or, you know, common standards in Melbourne. So there's a lot of, it, it's just the terminology is aged sort of poorly. And, and we haven't come up with a, a better word for it. Um, and we 're not uh, at mark Lane, we 're not, we're not really looking for a, a a label or a word to you know to define our category of what sort of coffee we we sell uh, we 're we're happy for the coffee to you know to speak for itself and to speak for itself you know to um, yeah to, to i don 't know market itself i guess so.
0: yeah and, then, and and I think you know it 's safe to say that you Amongst a few other cats uh, in the Melbourne market, you, you know definitely you guys, are, you know through you know between the pioneers of the Melbourne coffee scene, and we we've seen especially in the last few years really that blooming and booming and just generating this buzz and this romanticized idea that opening a cafe is just uh, uh, yeah. you know it's going to be an easy easy run. Uh, what's the secret to maintaining those all these retail? Shop up to start like you guys are doing, um, mm. because we see so many. You know what, what? You know what I'm trying to say is that Melbourne has reached a point where there's so much, so much going on. Almost the oversaturation of the markets.
1: Yeah. um it's hard. There's no secret. It's just um, it's just difficult. So <laughs> there's no secret. Um, <laughs> yes. When we, I mean, when we started at Grand Market, we really thought that we would only do the one one shop we really wanted to sell whole beans of coffee to to people who came into the market and we would have you know a nice range of six or seven or eight different coffees and would be able to tell their stories and um but we quickly realized that the the melbourne market was really was really young and there there just weren't that many people who were brewing coffee at home so we we realized really quickly that we needed to change the way that we were um, we were working, and and the way we decided to do it was to um, to you know build a couple more cafes that would serve a lot of coffee drinks, um, and then along with those drinks, we would try and get people to brew coffee at home. So we we did a lot of things. Like when we started out, we were doing uh, free coffee cuppings every day. So we would do coffee cuppings seven days a week for the public. Um, wow! And you know, each an hour long, and and we would frequently get you know five six people um, in each one. So. Um, it's just hard work i think to 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 you know to develop the market uh, in a way that you want it to it, it just takes a lot of time um I, I think the issue with the oversaturation is the uh, the price sacrifices that are made in terms of um wholesale coffee like I, I think in terms of retail it's great that we have a huge diversity i think more so in um in wholesaling roasted coffee um the amount of competition that we have is actually pretty detrimental to the quality results that we have and um, and also to the coffee producers because people are looking to um, to really get like, you know, sub $10 per kilo coffees into their blend and then sell it at, you know, sub $30 and, um, and, and make a business out of it. And for the first couple of years for a new roaster, they're not expecting to make money. So they will keep discounting and keep throwing money into the, um, in, into the, cafe to, to try and build a volume and to try and build market share. So I think that's really the detrimental thing that's happened in the last 10 years in, in Melbourne is that, um, is that, yeah, the, the value is sort of dropping out of roasted coffee because people are willing to make those sacrifices. Yeah. I, I it, and it's sad because
0: I've, I've witnessed some,
1: when I was working for a coffee roaster
0: for a couple of years, I've witnessed some crazy prices and, uh, and, uh, and the worst part is that, you know, I've seen as low as 16, 17, and the coffee was good. Mm. Like, you know, literally 16, 17, 18 dollars a kilo, maybe with a machine, without going to details, with who it was, who he wasn't. And when you taste the coffee, it's like, oh, it's actually it's actually not bad for, you know, for mm. a big cafe in the city, that, that would do. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think... I think it's just um, where someone in the interviews was saying uh, it's like, I think that Melbourne, especially, especially like you said, the roasters, the specialty that's called specialty roasters, they were kind of fun, you know like the studies all fight against each other. But the, the real fight is you know against the commercial. You know, against is a negative word because I think coffee is you know we all a lot you know like. Everyone is important. The guy who drinks V60 all the way to the lady who drinks a decaf frappuccino with matcha, I don't know, what they you know, he drinks at Starbucks. Um, I think that, that that's really sad, but like you said, the ones who get the most impact is A, the people who do it honestly year because they can't compete. They walk in and they're like, whoa, hang on, you got offered this price. And B, especially, is people at Origin because then they're forced to drive price even lower, which is, there's already not much money for them, especially. Yep. Um, the other element, I'm not sure if you agree with this, is that I think that what I personally witness is a lot of, you know, uh, you, your example would be a couple, John and Jennifer, and they are both in accounting or banking, and they go to the local cafe on a Sunday and it's busy, and they're like, 1850 for a smashed avocado. I would do it better, I would put Alpha on top or something like that. And they, and they, you know and they, and they start counting tables and I'm like oh my god these guys are killing it, huh. and then we've seen people who never washed dishes who never you know even carry the plate opening a lot of shops, and unfortunately a lot of times it's just it's just difficult like it's like if I started a plumbing business and I struggle to I don't know change a light bulb. Uh, have you seen much of that? And how would you recommend people who want to get started in the industry to maybe take some baby steps?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I think I think I, let's let's come back to the coffee um, price because um, we'll come back to that in a second. But I, I think it's important. I've got a few things I want to say about that. But um, I'm sure. It's to, yeah, it's hard for me to suggest getting started in the industry without um, recommending that. They do it in the way that I did it, but there, there are lots of different pathways. Um, I was, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I was washing dishes in 2005, and by 2009, um, I, I had, you know, I started Mark Lane with Flirt. So I think, you know, things can change really quickly, and um, and I think if you, well, I mean, for one, if you if you're lucky, <laughs> um, but also if you're in if you put yourself um, in the right sort of uh, frame in the right time then it it can it can work out for you as well so um, I I, I don't I mean I don't begrudge people seeing the cafe industry and thinking that it's a it's a really you know nice lifestyle I think it's I think it's really great but I think the issue is that it's just not for everyone you know and if if you don't know what it is like to do service for seven hours a day or eight hours a day then um, it can be a real shock and um, people can grow resentful and you know um, and it can hurt people along the way so um, I think just getting a, a realistic idea of what what you're in for is the best way to do it. I like that, um, yeah. I mean, my, yeah, for example, Fleur was working for, for Disney and LastMinute.com uh, for many years um, in, and she was in an office and she, you know, she switched to hospitality, you know, on, basically on a dime and and she did it really well and, you know, she loves it and you know, she's very good at it. So I, I think I think it, it's obviously possible. It's just, you know, you have to know what you're getting into.
0: 100%. And going back on pricing, sorry, like you were saying.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the pricing, pricing for uh, wholesale roasted coffee is, um, I mean, it's challenging because you basically have to, instead of just retailing, you have to put it, another margin. There. So you have to sell coffee at much lower than um, you would if you were just retailing it. Um, and the, the challenge is, is that, um, the amount of competition that there is in Melbourne is really driving the price of this roasted coffee down. Um, and that goes back to, um, to importers um, of coffee into Australia, but it also goes back to producers. And at the moment, the price of coffee, the average price of coffee that um, people are getting is very, very low. And in a lot of cases, it's below cost of production. So people are, are, are farming coffee, they're, you know, they're working through the year, and at the end of the year, they're selling coffee for less than it costs them to produce. Um, and that can seem really crazy to us, but for someone who doesn't know anything else, has inherited a farm in Bolivia, and all they know how to do is farm coffee, it's a really big issue because they might not realise that it's actually costing them money to produce coffee for you know for for us here in Melbourne. So I think it's a it's a it's a real issue, and um, it's going to come to a head and be very very difficult um, very soon. So we have to work. We have to work quickly and we have to work really proactively to um to make sure we're paying fair prices for our green coffee as as roasters um and yeah yeah and
0: it's upsetting because you know some people want to do the right thing some people don't and uh, what i what i've said in the past episode is that for instance in, in my country which is not perfect uh, a lot of industry have a certain regulation around price so hmm. they have a minimum and a maximum. So you can only play, you know, in between that. And I think if there was a system which, hey, I'm not, I'm not a politician here, but if there was a system to kind of regulate a, at a wholesale price, then ultimately it would drive quality up because at the table with 10 coffees blindfolded, people pick probably the one that they like the most if they were all the same price. I think that's quite natural. On the, yeah. on the personal preference, but the reason the reason a regulation, I've, and like I said, I've seen anywhere from sixteen to forty two for a land. Um, but then a regulation might, you know, it's a bit. I don't
1: know,
0: maybe some people wouldn't like that.
1: No, but they don't like it because it, you know, the status quo is is making money, and and that's what a lot of the industry is geared around. So I, you know, places like Kenya have. Um, have got regulations around minimum prices, and people still buy canning coffee you know it 's not it 's not the world 's biggest seller but um, but you know they have a basic they have a minimum price and and some of it 's driven by demand but a lot of it 's just you know you still have to cross that you know and and it 's quite high it 's like three three dollars a pound or something like it's it 's not nothing so i think i think coffee co- coffee producing countries can do it um, and I think they can do it by you know, setting a floor and for for Colombia people will buy Colombian coffee even if it costs them a little bit more. Definitely.
0: Would you would you think that the same principle could work even in terms of wholesale? That's where I was kinda of going, like where this is the floor you can't charge less than
1: that. Um which no, will be difficult. I, will still, I I think people will still try and I, I think people will still buy buy low. Um, and, and sell sell high so um, Yeah in, in terms of like drink prices is a is a good example so if you walk around Melbourne you won't find I mean except if you go to Seven Eleven. But if you go to cafes and things like that all the coffee drink pricing will be about the same price Like some will be a little bit lower some will be a little bit higher But you don't go and see a six dollar latte and you don't go and see a you know $2.50 latte and the reason for that is that it's it's really just market-based pricing You know they'll go and they'll look at what people are paying already and and they'll price it lower or higher or something like that. They're not going to really think about what what it's actually costing them to to make the latte and, and to sell it. So um, I, I think it's it's sort of similar with um, wholesale coffee pricing at the moment. People will just sort of look around at what people are selling their wholesale coffee for, and then either go a little bit lower or a little bit higher or something like that. But they won't really work out what it's costing them to produce. Yeah. No. no, no. Yeah.
0: It's it's yeah. It's uh. It's a, it's a big topic. I think yeah, it's, it's a topic that opens yeah. a lot of thinking and uh, I'll probably sit down and have a think about it later on again, because uh, uh, it's, it's something that I'm sure that you face more, obviously, because uh, uh, you're more directly involved in the process. And, uh, yeah, you, yeah. And, and I appreciate what you guys are doing, obviously. Uh, going back on something that you spoke earlier on, uh, I'm um, reconnecting what daniel Hopper told me uh, recently this week on the episodes um and he thinks that the fourth way of coffee is going to be home brewing which i found quite interesting um, i think it was a little bit of provocation because i think obviously with more people at home mm. most most roasters online sales have gone up um yeah. do you see that as a like potential new kind of wave like have you have you seen more and more home brewing um, with on your side
1: yeah absolutely I mean we we had a like a lot of people I'm sure had a, a large uptick in our online retail sales um, in our coffee club as well um, and uh, in our um, bricks and mortar stores we saw a lot of people buying um, home brewing equipment um, I, I think it's it's generally a really positive um, because people will spend you know they'll they'll treat themselves to something a little bit better than what they're used to. So they'll buy, you know, they'll they'll buy a, a geisha coffee or they'll buy, a, you know, a, an exotic processing method or something like that. You know they'll spend a little bit more on their coffee. Um, so I, th- I think it's a really it's a really good thing. It's a really positive thing. At the moment, people have a little bit more time, so they are experimenting. They're they're stepping out of their own comfort zone to to try something try something new. Um, and I, I think. I think we'll retain a lot of these, um, con- you know, converted bricks and mortar coffee drinkers to home coffee drinkers because I think they'll realise that it's it's much easier than they think it is. Um, it's obviously quite a lot cheaper than going to the cafe, um, and they'll probably enjoy the, t- you know, enjoy the taste a bit more as well because they've they've made it themselves and they've um, yeah they've sort of created something rather than just ordered something. So um, I, I'm you know. If, if there is a silver lining to all this, it's, it's that people are taking a bit more time to make coffee and, and doing it at home as well.
0: Yeah, and I, hope, and I hope, I really hope that that would drive, you know, the John and Joes and Jennys to appreciate more, A, appreciate more the craft, uh, because they will realize, oh, okay, they make my long black or my latte in such and such amount of time. Mm. And it took me this much time to make it myself and then make it so much better. And hopefully to, you know, start to at coffee in a different way, you know? start looking into coffee, start grabbing a, grabbing a book like the book that you wrote or other uh, amazing authors around the world um, and start saying, hey, you know what, I'll stop going to this shop because I don't like the coffee anymore.
1: Yep. So Definitely.
0: I hope that would we'll drive that too.
1: Absolutely. I think it will. It, it doesn't take long for habits to form, and it doesn't take long for people to to change their minds. Most people, when they have their first filter coffee, they're like, oh, you know, it's it's quite weak or something." But you know, if they have a second cup or um, a third cup, then you know, usually that's that's all it takes, and and they'll be on board. You know, <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And and I think
0: the other side going on be of on consumerism and marketing, but you know, uh, you we will see a lot of cases where you know, when Galleries are still available, you know, now coffee equipment is, you know, a lot of it's beautiful. You know, it's like, it's presented, it's on the bench, it's on kitchen countertops. So it's like, people were like, oh, what's that fancy kettle?" Or what is that fancy scale yeah. or machine? So hopefully that will create even more of a, yeah. I want to get into it. Jason, um, yeah. um, we, we just hit the half mark uh, of the interview. And, and thank you again for being here. Um, we got the out-of-the-box question um, that we ask everyone halfway. If you could, who would you like to have dinner with? And it can be anyone. doesn't have to be coffee. Anyone. Yeah.
1: Oh, who would I like to have dinner with? Um, probably Albert Einstein because he seems <laughs> very approachable and funny. I think he'd um, – I think – oh, I'd, I'd like – yeah, hopefully he would um, – I don't know what, I, I. hopefully I could make him something he hasn't had before and we could have a good chuckle about it. But um, yeah, I don't know, he seems like, a, I like a, a it. Out of the box. Yeah.
0: I out I wonder what coffee he would have liked. Um,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. He would have been an interesting guy to have in the roostery too, to maybe have a chat about processing and uh, a bit of yeah. science behind it. And, and talking about approachable and accessible, um, I think in the past few years, also the reason why people were not homebrewing much is because coffee is a little bit scary. Um, people nowadays are a lot much more in their phones. So even in terms of social socializing, some people are not comfortable talking, especially around things that they don't, they don't know, right? Yeah. So it, it, it can look confronting if on the coffee bag it's written, you know, uh Pepsi, with a hint of cherry and a sprinkle of cinnamon, yep. and baristas, not all of them, but a few of them, they roll their eyes when you ask them about you know coffee
1: well' it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a contradiction that we have to be careful with you know are we are we, are we crafts are we craftspeople or are we making something that's really accessible and easy that everyone can do um, and it's a very difficult line to to walk because on one hand. You want to you know you want to have tasting notes on the bag that say what the coffee actually tastes like, um, but then you also want to have coffee tasting notes on the bag that are accessible to everyone you know so if you drill down into the the fine and sort of nerdy notes too far you will you will alienate a lot of people who might be interested in buying that bag so um, I think you know it's it's a it's a challenge to make something that's appealing. That's um, obviously artisanal, but that's also really approachable and um, easy to get into. So it's a challenge we have a lot in our. Um, we have to think about a lot in our uh, training, our staff training, and how we how we sell different coffees to people, or how we approach it, because it's uh, it's a real trap just to say to someone, you know, this one is chocolatey and fruity, and and this one is you know a darker roast. Which one would you like? Because it doesn't really convey the whole story about what. Um, what the two coffees are or what makes them special or um or, or what what they really taste like so um it, it is a very fine balance and it's something that we have to be careful with um yeah because
0: it's the last thing yeah because the last thing that we want is you know have these beautiful coffees and people feel a little bit like oh i don't know if i can get it because you know, I, I didn't get the right vibe from from the barista or the person on the floor or the deal. So I think you're right. I think, I think s- staff and conversations at the cafes are always extremely important to just um have a relationship building with that person who's just starting to scratch the surface of coffee. And uh, yeah. it, it could be as simple as a conversation. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's just i think it it just can be a bit disingenuous you know if you pick up as a consumer if you go into a place that you don't you haven't been to before and you pick up a you know a beautiful like bag or a tin of coffee with gold lettering and you know it's very expensive and then someone comes up and says, "This one's special because it's fruity You're like okay well, you know is that the only special thing about it, or like you know why is you know what is really special about this coffee so I, I think we have to we have to be careful and um, and you know present special coffees as a very special thing, but also try and be accessible to to a lot of people yeah absolutely and
0: and even when it comes to their orders and uh what they like and what they like, and just have engaging with those conversations absolutely
1: mm. yeah
0: um, and and going back on sort of you know what you were talking about, which is pricing and origin related. It's safe to say that coffee is underpriced. Yeah. Uh, th- 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 there is no, two, there's no ifs or buts. Um, but yet, it's interesting how coffee is often compared to wine. Mm. Uh, what would it take for the coffee to kind of start getting a little bit closer to the wine industry where people are happy to buy a $9, 10 12 $15 glass of wine?
1: What well, would have to what would it take? Um, well, I, I think, I mean, firstly, I think they're, they're quite different industries, right? So wine, you, wine producers um, sell a finished product. So if you, buy a, um, if you have a, um, a nice wine bar on Ligon Street and you buy a bottle of wine from the Ara Valley, you're purchasing pretty much a finished product. All you need to do is get it to the right temperature, pop the top off and pour it, you know? So you've got to, you've got to get the atmosphere right. You don't have to get any of the construction right. With coffee, it's more difficult because um, um, coffee from origin needs to be processed locally. Oh, it needs to be processed and then um, and then processed a second time wherever it's made. So there are a couple more steps involved that that mean that the price from the wine, or, you know, the the producer will have to be high, much uh, sorry, much lower than it is at the retail retail setting. So. Um, I, I think there will always be quite a large price differential between what's produced at origin as to what's sold um, in the in the cafe or in the shop, and I think that's fine. Um, I, I think the problem is that now um, a, a cafe might make you know five, ten, fifteen percent profit. A roaster will also make you know ten, fifteen percent profit, but the coffee producer will make nothing or, or lose money. That's where the real problem is. So I don't I don't necessarily think that. It's about um, increasing the price of a cup of coffee at the end, but it's about sort of balancing the profit margins of everybody along the chain and making sure that everyone can come along the journey and everyone can survive the journey. Because that's what we're really talking about is, is being able to serve coffee, to make coffee for people in 15 years' time, you know, and, and at the moment, we're cannibalizing our producers, we're, we're, we're really, we're taking all the money away from them and we're Putting it in our own pockets, and that's it's just going to destroy the industry. So, um, I, I think just rebalancing it, you know, and and if you go back through and work out what you know what the cost per pound increase would have on the cost of a latte here, it's not a big amount. You know, so if a cafe decided that it wanted to um, support its its um, coffee producers, they wouldn't need to put the price of their drinks up to six dollars or seven dollars. It might only be fifty cents. But it's important that it goes all the way back down to the coffee producer.
0: Yeah, but it's, absolutely.
1: It's a complicated one. It's, it's a bit tough. It is. And and it's a
0: little bit upsetting because, you know, you just remarked the fact that there is so much more steps in coffee. I used to be in the one industry. It uh, was one of my first jobs. And, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, it's a little bit upsetting because you would assume that, you know, coffee would cost more based on the processes involved. Obviously, there's such a historical strong... Mm -hmm. cultural element of being uh you know a euro back home in Italy Uh, yeah
1: Yeah. it's it's, It's a complicated commodity I mean if you think about bananas like bananas get grown and they get they obviously get treated a lot at the farm but once they're once they're picked that's a banana you know that's what you buy in the shop but a, a, a coffee a coffee cherry you have to grow the fruit you have to process the seed you have to do all these steps to the end to get a cup of coffee so it's uh, it's much more labor intensive it's much more expensive to produce um but i absolutely think it's possible and i absolutely think that we will be able to do it but yeah, we need to work on well, it
0: yeah and i think also what you just said most people don't even know that so we recently did a live tour at a well there was more like a the processing part of the farm not the actual trees and the, in indonesia and the, a lot of people don't know the coffees yeah you know where the coffee beans come from so i think even their education will make a lot of people go oh yeah okay now i yeah. appreciate it even more um and yeah so hopefully yeah like you said yeah it's it's complicated but uh i think raising awareness even in this space and people who kind of listen again it's it's important because then it forces people to think you know i'm gonna go and sit on the couch for 10 minutes and think, okay, well, you know, let's yeah. start thinking back like we all do. Yeah. Um, and in terms of hospitality, um, because that's where you started, um, and you were sort of lost, you said, but then coffee kind of found you, which is, which is yeah. amazing. <laughs> um, hospitality is far from perfect. Mm. Um, if you could change one thing, what would that be?
1: In hospitality, well, right now I would change – um, the working conditions for uh for young people and I would I would um, I would change the casualisation casualization of the workforce. Um, because that's had real real issues um, for you know for, for decades. But but also I mean recently we can see the results of a casualization the casualized workforce in that in the COVID outbreaks, um, you know it's it's untrained security guards, it's um you know it's it's nurses it's people who work in um, old people's homes who are you know they're not supported they're not supported to take sick leave they're not supported to take um, you know to, to work in just one place um, they don't have the adequate training and they don't have the adequate protection either so um, yeah I, I mean I, I would change that I think that would that would really change the industry it would make it more expensive for business, but I think it would be cheaper in the long run and it would be worth it um, that's probably one thing i think I mean hospitality in terms of like service, is pretty good in Melbourne. You know, there's not much to complain about. Um, so so I, don't, I don't know if there's too many like practical things I'd, I'd change. Yeah. I no, I like the,
0: that. I think if we become more expensive for certain businesses, but I think, you know, for instance, what I like about, say, you guys, is that you guys just, you know, it's, you know, you pull all your, you know, 80% or whatever percentage is this coffee. You know, you, you even just have one type of meal, right? Which is, you know, I just narrow it down, just straight to the coffee, a little bit of pastries. Yeah. And I think for, for a long time, maybe due to high rents or maybe due to, you know, the whole dri- driven by manual competition, you know, we, we see these cafes doing a bit of everything rather than specializing in one thing that they really know and comprehend and they can really say, hey, I'm a donut pizza specialist. And I think a great example as well could be, you know, a famous Croson brand where, you know, for a long time, they didn't have a coffee machine on on site. And then, you know, then lately, uh, you know, years later, they started making a little bit of coffee. So I think it's also important to kind of narrow down what you're good at. And, you know, because when I used to go, when I used to talk to my customers looking for sites, everyone wants big. They want a big kitchen. They want a big place. They want a but then that big, you got to fill it up, and that's where those casuals, like yeah. you said, come through. Versus, well, you can start a little bit smaller and see how things go. And you can go big. There's nothing wrong with big. Yeah. It's just only the right operators can handle big.
1: Yeah, I I think that's right. I, I think I, I don't think you know particular. I don't think there's. I don't think everyone needs to be a specialist. There's nothing. I don't think there's anything wrong with the. Hume Highway sandwich shop, or you know, whatever. The no, no, shop. absolutely, but, yeah. But I think if you if you do want to be good at, if you do want to specialize in one thing, then you need, actually need to specialize in it. You can't just, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think you can say we're coffee specialists, but we do, you know, but we do do poached eggs and we do, you know, have a full service kitchen and we do all these other things, um, because your focus is taken away from what your focus is supposed to be because you're ordering eggs or you're you know you're trying to work out your tea menu or whatever it is like there's there's no way around it um and if your manager is worrying about that stuff then they're not worrying about the coffee um so yeah i mean i'm yeah i'm I'm very fortunate that we've been able to yeah to build a business that's based solely on that um but we had to do it really consciously you know it wasn't it wasn't an accident
0: of course yeah and Obviously, yeah, there is nothing wrong with any type of shops. I, I think wh- where I was going is like sometimes because maybe they, you know, they put too much on the menu or too much, you know, try and bring really together, you know, the most out of the shop. Yeah. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong selling paintings of the wall, but basically it's like, like you said, it forces you to cho- choose a cheaper employee rate casual mm. rates and, and i like what you said i think i was talking to uh, jessica Lambie, and you know she's very close to a lot of baristas and mental health and a lot of baristas were made redundant because they were on those casual rates and mm. and it's upsetting and sad to see so let's hope that, mm. that, that changes hopefully with with a with yep. new wave of uh the next the next normal <laughs> yeah
1: the next normal yeah I mean, to be honest, I think the rates in Australia are okay. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think they're okay. It's just that there's, you know, the, the casual workers need protection for especially especially sick pay. Um, but also, you know, they, they need to be forced to take holidays and, you know, you have to have time off and stuff like that. So, yeah. It's very important.
0: It's very yeah, important. important. Yeah, 100%. Um, and another thing that you guys talk about, a lot is which is another big buzzword, is sustainability because I think... We give coffee for granted, but between the price crisis, like we mm-hmm. mentioned, and climate change, it's at risk. Um, what could it be you know, the single most, maybe not the most, but a action that most individuals or a few individuals could do to help the whole eco- ecosystem?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a tough question. I think... I mean, in terms of uh, people who own cafes or, or consumers? I think you know, I consumers, because I think consumers.
0: often we forget that mm. individuals are in control and their actions dictate a lot of times the, the market.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think probably the single biggest thing is to vote because there are there are a lot of small changes that people can make, but they're dwarfed by the large policy changes that will have a real impact. So for example, um, we could just ban coal-fired fi- coal power. We could do that but we don't have the right politicians in power to do that. You know, we have to vote to get the right politicians in power to do it. Um, I think that's, that's probably the, the most important thing to do um, and then there are a lot of small, you know, things that do have an impact that you can do like switching to renewable energy yourself or driving less or you know, recycling properly. All these sort of things will, will definitely help but yeah, it's the the large thing. The large thing we need to change is our is our politicians and the actual the framework where these businesses operate. And we just have to say, yeah, you're not allowed to do it anymore.
0: Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think I think so. And uh, it is a big topic. I think it's just um, it needs a space, um, even in the short conversations and things we talk just just here on, on yes. Instagram. It's just because a lot of people love to say it, but then they don't. We are in control, right? It's like, it's simple. If uh, I live in mini ponds now, and it's like, if in mini ponds, everybody boycotted the, you know, carrots that come in a plastic bag and calls, calls would be very quickly as shifting that and just say, hey, we don't, you know, the, the cut down the, not the supplier, but the supplier, don't put them in plastic bags, just put them in a box or whatever. Uh, so I think the individuals are really um, the key component to it, for sure.
1: They are, but I think, I think, the, the challenge with that is that there's going to be a portion of the population who either don't know or they're not aware or they don't care, you know. And if, if that portion makes up 35%, 40%, then it's going to allow, you know, Coles, for example, to say, well, we'll just keep selling to those people and, you know, we'll do both. Like, we'll do, you know, we'll we'll do the the loose carrots and we'll do the bags carrots and, you know, it's... So, I, yeah, I, I think their personal personal choices that you make will have an impact, but, um, I don't think that's going to make the yeah. wholesale change that we need, you know, yeah. right now. Yeah.
0: hundred percent. And, and yeah, I think you, you hit, you hit the nail with education and uh, knowledge, and, which is so connected to that coffee conversation that we've had for the past yeah. few minutes. It's like, uh, you know, until nine years ago, I didn't know anything about coffee until I started my journey yeah. and, uh, yeah, I think that would, you know, make people appreciate it more. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's yeah. important. Um,
1: um thinking, do you, want to, um, do you want to do a tour of the roastery real quick? Or you oh, you yeah, sure, sure, 100%. It? Yeah, you 100%. No, you no, can, can take
0: us around, on. On, yeah. We've got about 11 minutes left before Instagram shuts it down, but he's uh, okay. with a mask. I feel like I should put it on, too.
1: <laughs> well, I'm yeah, I'm lucky at the moment I'm up here by myself, so I haven't needed it, but if we go no, down no, there... No, Few customers, a uh, few staff, so
0: yeah, this will be this would be cool. Here
1: we go. Here we go. Yep. So I'll just give you is Tashi, so this is sort of a big overview of the roastery. Fantastic. Um, oh yeah. And go down. Uh, it's going to be a bit noisy, so maybe turn it down a you. That's alright. It's
0: uh, it's it's a good it's a good sound.
1: is where the magic happens yeah
0: so the so magic happens we got packing over here We've yeah. put up everything for the shop uh yeah Fantastic. all right i'll get out of here it's a bit noisy <laughs> that's all right yeah. and then um, and Obviously, uh, that that retail component it's still it's still um, important because it still keeps people employed. That's my marketing too. Because you know you need packing coffee and you need to roast coffee, which is fantastic to hear that. Uh, you've had a good positive response from the online online world when it came to coffee too, brewing at home. Absolutely,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we've been very lucky. Our online um, shop was doing you know it was obviously already doing pretty well um but um but we definitely had a, a very big spike um when COVID hit people I think like I said experimenting with um brewing coffee at home and yeah
0: yeah no it's fantastic and, and look Instagram is very cutthroat and they only give you like 30 seconds countdown <laughs> before they shut it all down and I'm like okay. look. First, thank you. I'm very grateful for the chat that we've had. I think it will add value to people who will listen to this. Uh, you know, once it's posted as a podcast as well, and rewatch it. Um, so, thank you. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man um, with a three-year-old, and uh, yeah. Lane is uh, what is it, eleven years old. 11, um, yeah. On the last question, just before you leave us, just so people can get a bit more inspiration from you too, is ultimately what's well, what would you like to see in the coffee in the future but what 's your coffee mission and what 's next for you, even though it 's unforeseeable now with the whole pandemic
1: um, I, I think what 's really motivating is seeing for me seeing coffee producers do well um, and for me that that um, that 's shown in 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 visiting them and seeing them spend spend their money so for example, I went to colombia and a lot of the producers that our um, exporter had been working with had done things like just painted their fences or updated their equipment or, you know, they, their kids were going to school in, in fresh new clothes and things like that. And all of those things show that they have, you know, money to invest in their farm, but also money to spend on their family and in their life. And that was for me, that was really motivating and um, really, really hit home to say like yes it's actually you know made a difference so i think that's that's probably the thing that i'd like to to see happen more in the future definitely
0: i like that and and in terms of next is is, what's next on on your on your plate on your planet
1: um i just get through the next week you know i don't i don't know we um (laughs) We don't have. We, we built this new roastery at the start of the year, um, and that was a, a really big project for us. Um, so I think I mean in the next few months we're just going to work on getting it working efficiently and um, getting it going, and uh, yeah, just focusing on the coffee, I guess.
0: And that's in uh, Brunswick.
1: This is Brunswick East, yeah. So just off uh, Logan Street, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good spot. I miss Brunswick. Um, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. if there's anything else, obviously, that, that you know you want to leave us with, um, I think it's left about five minutes. But um, it's been so nice to talk to you face-to-face. It's uh, almost like you were yeah. on the other side of the table. And uh, yeah, hopefully next week we yeah. can actually be at the table together, sharing a mm-hmm. brew, and uh, I really hope that. And, uh, yeah, no, thank you. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. It's been good. Thank you. Okay.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, man. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, there you have it guys. Um... It was very humbling and uh, uh, brain uh, efficient uh, it was really a good a good workout for the morning. Um, I think um, Jason had such an incredible outstanding career and um, built uh, you know one of the institution coffees uh, that we all know, especially in Melbourne and around the world and around Australia. Um, And it was good to to hear his story and what's behind the process and how important it is to have uh, a value and a purpose or multiple attached to a brand and what you do. Um, I think it's really important. So I hope hope you enjoyed this. It was a bit of a different time than usual. Usually we go live in the evening, but uh, this was the only time they could make it. And uh, I really appreciate Time and, and, and conversation with us. So I hope you enjoyed it too. Um, if you have, feel free to share this um, as a story or take a screenshot or share the IGTV live. We want to grow this more and more. And uh, yeah, tomorrow um, we have uh, the girl from Origin. Um, she's a, she's an amazing uh, lady who uh, will we'll have an interesting conversation uh, directly from from Africa, so it'll be, it'll be very interesting. So um, I'll post something on the stories next, but uh, if not, um, hope you're well, hope you're keeping safe. Uh, big shout out to people who are still here. So uh, we got David, Dax, Coffee Diaries, um, Vag, Sia, Melly Coffee and uh, Grinders. So um, yeah, hope you're well, look after yourself and uh, I'll see you to the next live.